book of Ecclesiastes is one of those books that challenges us. It's one of those books that makes us, as God's people, think, makes us contemplate the world in which we live. Solomon pondered the message that is in the book of Ecclesiastes over and over again. But he didn't do so just for his own personal enrichment, his own personal satisfaction. He did so so that he could be the preacher. And that's the actual title to the book of Ecclesiastes. He is the preacher. He has thought things through. He looks at life and he says, I need to be able to explain it to others. Look with me again at verse 1. For I considered all of this in my heart so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither loved nor hated by anything they see before them. For just a moment, think about what he said. He said, I considered all of this in my heart. You know, you look at the world around about you, you see the way people talk, the way people act, the way people interact with one another, and you think about what does this really mean and what are people really like? When he says, so that I could declare it, this is a usual word that means to examine something, to be able to understand it. So that you could be able to explain it to someone else. There are times when someone says, it's your job to tell people this or tell them that. We say, I don't know what I'm supposed to say or how I'm supposed to say it. Well, you've got to study it out. You've got to learn. And then you can explain it to them. That's the idea behind this. He talks about all of this, whether it's the wise, the righteous, they are in the hand of God. You know, I used to like the song, he's got the whole world in his hand. And the truth is, is that we are like in the palm of God's hand, and God observes all that we do, and In reality, God has designed this world the way He wanted it. And that's what Solomon is observing. And he says people cannot discern if it is by love or by hate by what they see. They can't draw the conclusion, I know how all this works. We would say life is an enigma. That's something difficult to explain. So for a few minutes, what we want to do is we want to look at Ecclesiastes 9. This is our basic outline of it. We're going to look, there's a commonality in verses 2 and 3. There's a choice that must be made in verses 4 through 6. There's a contentment that God expects man to enjoy in verses 7 through 10. Chance, as well as time, happens to them all in verses 11 and 12. And then finally, a commendation of those who are wise and act wisely. Let's notice what he says here about this commonality. Verses 2 and 3, all things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the clean, the unclean, or to the good, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices 
and him who does not sacrifice. As to the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath and he who fears an oath. This is an evil thing done under the sun. That one thing happens to them all. Truly the hearts of the Son of Man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, after that, they go to the dead. You see, Solomon says all things alike come to all. There's a commonality. There's something that all of us share in this life. And Solomon has observed that more than once in this book. In fact, if you go to chapter 2, verse 14, he says, The wise man's heads are rise in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. Whether you're a wise man or whether you're a foolish man. He said in verse 19 of chapter 3, For what happens to the Son of Man also happens to the animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so does the other. The truth is, it's just exactly like Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Yes, it does pain us. Yes, we do see it, but you look and the good man, the righteous man, he passes from this life just like the wicked and just like the evil. And his point is, the goodness doesn't change it. It doesn't change whether or not this happens to you. And in fact, he observes that when you look at the world, the majority is evil. That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said, enter in by the narrow gate, for narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. For broad is the gate and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are going to enter in by it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He said madness is in their hearts while they live. When he talks about madness, that's a person who's just irrational, who doesn't think clearly. That's the way the world reasons. And in the end, all die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. So is there a commonality? I'm looking at life and I'm seeing everybody shares in the same. But then he points out that there's a choice to be made. Look with me now at verses 4 through 6. For for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have forgotten, or they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore shall they will they share in anything done under the sun. Now, if you look at this life, it seems like there's no justice or understanding, as if their choices are irrelevant. If I am a wise man and I know I'm going to pass from this life, or I'm a foolish man, or I am a wicked man, I know I'm going to perish from this life, what difference does it make what I choose? But then he turns and he says, to all the living there is hope. That four-letter word, hope, changes a lot of things. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, 
He said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. You see, hope is something that you can change. Because a person can be wicked in this life and they can choose to do what is good and righteous and then they have hope. But if their life has already passed, there's no hope available there. And that's the reason why he says that a living dog is better than a dead lion. You see, the lion was considered and admired as one of the mightiest beasts of the field while dogs were considered detestable animals. They were scavengers. But you see, a living dog can make some difference. A dead lion, he's already done everything he's going to be able to do. Then he makes a statement. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. The living, that's us. We know what is before us. We've seen it happen numerous times. And the truth is, is that we all know as we grow older that it is a fact of life that we too will one day pass from this side of eternity. But the latter part of that phrase there, but the dead know nothing, has led some people to believe that the soul sleeps in the grave and knows nothing at all. No, that's not correct. You have to put it in its context of what he's talking about. Death is observable. The dead know nothing. It's not that they sleep but they no longer share in anything done under the sun. They're not here on this earth. They're not observing what the living are observing. You see, death ends our participation in earthly activities. We don't come back in this life again and participate in it. Our lives here are over. They're done. But then he makes some statements about their memory is soon forgotten. You know, I've thought often about some of the great men who have been a part of my generation of living. You know, I talk with a lot of younger preachers and I talk about Brother Gus Nichols and I talk about Brother Guy in Woods and about all the great work that they did and a lot of them say, who's that? Part of me feels a great sadness that they didn't get to know some of those great men. But you know, a generation before... There were men who were before Brother Nichols and before Brother Woods who also did a great work, and I don't know them. Never had that privilege. Never saw their work. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be those of us who are our generation that some of you may remember once gone, but your kids and your grandkids may not. You see, the memories soon are fading The emotions of love, hate, envy, they're no more. You see, it's what he's doing. He's trying to get us to see that there is a time and there is a place where choices can be made. And you better make the choice now while you have the opportunity to do so. Okay, let's follow along with Solomon now as he talks about some contentment. Look at verses 7 through 10. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life 
which he has given you under the sun, all the, your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life. And in the labor which you perform under the sun, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. There's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. What is Solomon trying to persuade us to understand? When you recognize the the life that you and I have, God expects us and offers for us to enjoy it. What do you mean by enjoy it? There's contentment. There's comfort. There's companionship. You know, when you think about the bread and the wine, he's talking about food and drink. Enjoy it. God has given you the blessings of food to eat. Some of us will enjoy that shortly. It's a blessing from God. Clothing. Here, talking about white meaning fresh and new. Oil for the head, Psalm 23 and verse 5. With blessings to be enjoyed. If you really want to think about it in the terms in which you use it, compare it to new clothes and a new hairdo. The fact that God has not only blessed you with plenty to eat, but He's blessed you with clothes to wear and an ability to enjoy that. Psalm 23, 5, He said, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. It talks about marriage. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage was designed by God for man's good. Do you remember what God said after He had created Adam? The one thing He said wasn't good, it's not good for man to be alone. God made a companion. God made a helper for man. And What does God say? He says, love that wife that God has provided you. The family should bring joy. And then he says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Whatever opportunity God has placed before you, like Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, and whatever you do it heartily is unto the Lord and not to men. Why? When you go to the grave, there's nothing else that you can do. You can't enjoy that food and drink. You can't enjoy those nice new clothes. You can't enjoy your family like you once did. So what do you do? God's given you these things in life to provide for you contentment. Okay, I understand God now has put before me choices. I understand God has provided me contentment. Why, Lord, do things happen so that the good seemingly get what they shouldn't and the wicked ought to get the bad things and they don't. Here's what he responds. I returned and saw that under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but... Time and chance happens to them all. For a man does not know his time. 
And then he's going to give some illustrations. Like fish taken in a cruel net. Like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Now, what he's going to do to prove to us his point is he is going to look at five areas of accomplishment. And he's going to say, I want you to look at them from this perspective. I want you to see if this person always wins. And he begins, does the fastest man always win the race? And he said, well, no, they didn't always win the race. What happened? Well, he tripped over a stone. Or he, he pulled a, a muscle and he's not able to run like, oh, there, there's all kinds of things that could happen during that. Nor the battle to the strong. Have you ever seen two nations go at one another and one nation's actually stronger than the other, but they lose? Sometimes it's because of intrigue. Sometimes people betray the other's plans. Oh, there, there's all kinds of things that could mean the strong doesn't win the battle. Nor the livelihood to the wise. He's also going to use that again when he talks about to riches of people of understanding. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, well, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? And the truth is, many times we've seen people who are, let's just put it, correctly, they're dumb, they end up with a lot of money. And the guy over here who's intelligent, who's smart, who's wise, ends up losing. Nor favor to those of skill. Here's a person who works real hard and they know how to do things. Let me ask you a question. In your experience where you work, does the person who's the smartest always get promoted? The people who are actually the most skilled in their position, do they rise and get those places of prominence? You say, no, the boss's son got the job. You see, he says, time and chance happens to them all. And what he will do is he will describe at least three situations that we observe in life where it's the fish or it's the birds or it's men. Here's a fish swimming right along and there's a net put down and that fish gets caught because he just happened to be at the right place at the wrong time. Or a bird caught in a snare you know, he lands. It's just like you think of a flock of birds coming in and you're a duck hunter and you point the gun up and you shoot. Why did you get the duck that you got? You see, the truth that he's looking at here, he's saying time and chance happens to them all. I've seen very godly, faithful Christian folks be killed in car accidents, get dreaded diseases, be caught in other kinds of accidents, and there's no explanation for it. I've also seen people 
who are ungodly and wicked and vile, and they're in that same car accident, and you know what happens to them? Get out and dust the clothes off and walk away. Now, Solomon is going to say, okay, now what are you going to do with this? Let's look at verses 13 through 18. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me, that there was a little city and a few men with it in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of the ruler of fools. Wisdom is much better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Now, this is what I've seen under the sun. What does it profit? What is it? What is their value in all of this as we look at it? Here's a poor man. He was in a small city, but he was able to resist the power of a king. Yes, this great king came with all kinds of various things that were creating problems for that city. The last part of verse 15 says, no one could remember that same poor man. That agrees back with verse 16 where he says, the words of the wise were not heard. When you look at commendation here, he's saying that wisdom only benefits people if they listen to it. But a sinner can destroy much good. We ought to want to be the wise person, maybe the poor man, that is responsible for bringing all this to pass. Solomon was pondering now and then. You look at the world in which you and I live. We live in a world that does have all kinds of difficulties in it. And yet there can be all things considered. Life has many good things to commend it. But only one thing that you have time to prepare for, and that is the next, is now. Don't squander that time you've been given. As Ephesians 5 verse 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Listen to the wise and make wise choices. And now, what is the wise thing for you to do? We don't know when we have the last opportunity. We never know when this will be our last time to be able to assemble together. We never know when will be our last opportunity to render obedience to the gospel. If you're not a Christian tonight, we want to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, would you come and...